Hello, everyone. Welcome to Arash's World. Today, we have a very special guest, Dr. Fred Moss. Uh, welcome here. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. For sure. And uh, I, I do this to, to, to every guest, and it's the toughest question. And after that, it's going to be easier, I promise. But how would you briefly describe yourself here to, your, to our audience? Yeah, the, I, I think the best way to describe myself is a recovering, retiring psychiatrist. I'm somebody who's been in mental health for a little over 40 years and um, really had an opportunity to see it from multiple different directions. And what I've really learned is that the conventional method that we use in psychiatry might not be the best method to create health. And so I'm often called the undoctor as well, where mm -hmm. I undiagnose, unmedicate, and then undoctrinate people, walking them out of the conventional system and towards a health optimization where they can actually heal. I love that. And I, I completely agree with that. And I think that's that's wonderful because um, a lot of, again, psychiatrists would be connected with uh, with the medical model and so on. And although it, it, it does help, but I don't think it gets to the root of the problem. And I think it's really like we, we need to transform uh, mental health and the way we see it. And uh, uh, the bravo. I mean, I, I love what you're doing. And your book is uh, you have a podcast as well, which is uh, awesome. Uh, Welcome to Humanity, which, uh, again, something that I completely agree with. We need more humanity. We can see it in the world right now. But also your book is Creative Aid, Healing Through Creativity and Self-Expression. And bringing in healing and tying it with creativity, I just love that. So what would you briefly say about that? Well, number one and two is um, I have a newer podcast as well called the Healing the Healer, or it's called the Healthy Healer. Sorry, it's called the Healthy Healer. And uh, I've run about, uh, there's about eight or 10 episodes there. And I'm interviewing people each week. I'm interviewed two people a week. So it's very exciting. It's a super cool program. And uh, we're really looking at healthy healers, people like yourself who have gone through a um, ride and really found them uh, a new sense of what it means to be healed. What it means to be healed as a healer is allowing for resonating with another person, actually connecting with another person on a ha harmonic level, because it is from there that actual health emanates. So that's the name of that one podcast. And I have a second book as well, which is the book is called Find Your True Voice, although we can speak about the creative eight. The creative eight healing through creativity and self-expression is a book that is focused on uh, taking our sense of imbalance, our sense of what we call symptomology or discomfort with life and finding other ways to manage it that don't have to do with ingesting certain pills mm -hmm. or even going to therapy. Like it turns out that creativity is what's here to be had. And if we use some of our uh, basic um, visual and performing arts, for instance, art, music, dancing, singing, drama, cooking, writing, gardening, if we use those skill sets, we will find that as we're doing those things, all our so-called symptomologies tend to disappear entirely. And our whole diagnosis disappears while we're in the act of doing those things. So I encourage people to find that creativity by you know, just doing it a, maybe even a minute or two a day. Uh, enough to activate your creativity, which is we all have, even if you think you're not a good artist or a good dancer and yeah. stepping in and really, um, really utilizing that creativity as a source, as a primary source for healing. 
Yeah, I know I'm not a good dancer, but again, we all have something. And writing for me is, is very important. And, and that's it. I mean, we know as, as creative artists, we know that when we're doing it, we feel we feel happy. We feel content. We feel excited. And that is I've always seen as a form of therapy. And so right. it's 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 an easier way of therapy because it's, again, you with yourself interacting with your work or your painting or your body and your movement. And I think we, we haven't really explored that. I, I had a creativity coach uh, here on my podcast, Eric Meisel, and I was also interested in how he saw that, too. And his his way of thinking was also thinking outside of the box because that's what creative people do. And I think that's hugely important instead of just following certain strict guidelines or again, this medication will work for you and so on, but we're also unique and everyone needs something unique to make them work. And also everyone, I like self-expression because that's really important. I don't think we express ourselves enough. Yeah, in a, in a, in a, in a, a unique way, in a, in a, in a helpful way. Yeah. That's very true. Uh, you know, a lot of people are barking out noise and they put that's it on it. social media or something. That's, that's not, not what we're talking yeah. about when self-expression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Self-expression comes from the core. It comes from the center area. It comes from your honest to goodness, authentic core self. And what we're talking about here in the form of self-expression is, in fact, like self-expression through art and music and dancing and singing and drama, et cetera. So when we self-express, you could you could make a case that so much of the, what is eventually called mental illness is really blockages in self-expression and listening. Mm-hmm. Like what's really happening is I find out that when I actually meet people who think that they're mentally ill, if I can connect with them and actually understand them, actually create a resonating harmonic relationship in our interplay with each other, there tends to be healing instantaneously at that point. What people really want more than anything is to be heard and seen for who they really are. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I think this is the problem, Don. Here's the rub I find. People, we know we want to be ourselves. They always say, be yourself. But we're not really taught how to do it. We're not really like supported to do it. And I think that the creative arts would be that because we're, we're concerned about AI. And it's like AI is going to make music and write poems and so on. But I'm not concerned about that because nobody, no AI can replace somebody like Mozart because they're, they're their unique way of putting the notes together. And that is what, uh, again, distinguishes us from, from anything. And for me, I think one of the, the main thing, meaning of life, if you like, would be really finding yourself, who you truly are. And we are unique in our DNA. We're also unique in our way of thinking, in our, in our psychology and so on. But we are not given the the tools uh, and again i I love what you're doing because that's exactly what we need we need people to put us on our own path instead of following other people's paths and not exploring the these sides of ourselves yeah that's really great really well said and one of the things that you're really pointing to this idea of we're not given the tools Mm -hmm. what's really interesting is we don't have to discover ourselves we're Mm -hmm. already here that's true. We're yeah. here underneath yeah. it all. And all yeah. we really have to do is rediscover ourselves. Okay. We need to move yeah. the muck and the rust and the cobwebs out of the way uh-huh. and get to the core things that have been here since you were born. Yeah. Like what really matters to you? That person that you know, that three-year-old that you know you were, that you remember being, uh-huh. there's no cells from that three-year-old that are still left on you. A hundred percent of your cells have turned over, but you still have a memory of what it was to be three years old. 
And that three-year-old knew what was important to them. And that's the same person we're talking about here. So it isn't a matter of not necessarily having the skills. It's a matter of going through time and throwing mud and dirt on top of what we really were, and then choosing to become people that we're not in order to somehow protect the people that we are. And that is just a ludicrous, absurd, preposterous way to go through life. Yet we humans have done that. And we, you know, the crack in the cement has got larger and larger over the years and no, we've never stopped to repair it. So there's a greater distance between who we really are and who we then show up as. And when there's a big distance between that, who we really are and what we show up as, that might be another source of of what often gets called mental illness or mental dysfunction. Yeah, I completely agree. But for me, the tool that really helped me to to set me on this path was was psychoanalysis. And in a way, just like kind of going through it through myself, I discovered what I'm what I'm not. So it's a negative way of approaching it. So just taking off, peeling off those layers of like uh, uh, of the onion, and then you get to the core. And I think we are often confused. We're living on a, on a superficial way of thinking, and I think that needs to change. So something beautiful and fascinating is psychoanalysis. Really, like delve you delve into that, and you say, well, who am I at my core? And that's, again, by realizing what I'm not. I'm not this. Yeah. I'm not what my parents thought I was. I'm not this, what my teachers used to think. And what, uh, again, my uh, loved one perhaps think of me. And then rediscover. I like that. Exactly. Rediscovering, connecting with that uh, true self. But it's so. Uh, it seems so hard because there's a lot of uh, noise. There's a lot of distractions. There's lots of false prophets, if you like, uh, who are telling us follow this path and people fall for for cults and so on, because they're missing that kind of connection with themselves and with others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not simple. It's, you say that it's hard and, uh, you know, no one ever said it's actually going to be easy, mm-hmm. yeah. but the pathway is clear and it's really important to get. And I think I trust this with each and every human. When you're not being yourself, there's a part of you that knows it. Yes. Yeah. You know, we've reached a time, a day and a of the age where people are actually saying things that even they don't believe. Yeah. yeah. And they're saying it as if they're them. They're actually, it's not even a lie anymore. It's like beyond a lie. They're actually saying things out loud that even they don't believe. And then uh, they're propagating that as if it's that that's their personality. It's reached a point where it's going to take something to actually back up out of that and start speaking what is then one's truest voice, something that comes from the core. Normally, people would say that the reason they don't speak their true voice is because they're afraid. They're afraid of disrupting or being misunderstood or distracting or maybe being thrown off the island, actually dismissed. And, um, you know, what's really here to get is that if, if you set that fear aside, um, if you're if you're able to actually get that setting the fear aside or in fact even incorporating the fear, it doesn't help to act like you're someone else. Either way, you're gonna get tossed off the island. Either way, you're gonna yes, be disrupted. Yes, exactly. Either way, you're gonna be distracted. So it's way easier, as it turns out, to be yourself 
and get tossed off the island than to pretend to be someone else and get tossed off the island. Much less stressful because if, if you're pretending to be someone else, you have to keep in line with that. Well, this yeah. is who I said I was with this person. I, I think that's a tremendous amount of stress. And ever there since I, I've, I've learned to like really open up and say, you know what? I don't really, it doesn't really affect me what you think of me. I, I want you to like me. But if I'm not myself, then you won't like me anyhow so because you're liking something else that I've created and that's not me. So again, it's it's that kind of like mirror within a mirror. And I think one of exactly. the driving forces, one of the issues is this, I think, and that's that's an issue, that's a problem. We're individuals, but we're also living in society and finding that kind of compromise of being ourselves as much as we can without disrupting or hurting others in our society and and kind of that balance. So what would you say? Because I think we're going too much towards the conformist side. People are just mm-hmm. like want to be accepted and they follow and they say, like you're saying, they're saying things that they don't believe, but I think they're aware of it. They just want to please others. They want to be accepted by them. And that's 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 the issue. Where, where How can we find that balance? Functioning yeah. in society, not getting uh, uh, kicked out, but also being ourselves as much as possible. Yeah, you bring up some great points here. People are just terrified of being of being dismissed and disrupted and thrown off the island. People are so terrified of being tossed out of their group or tossed out of their tribe. And so they are finding themselves due to this fear, actually, um, you know, actually saying things that they don't believe, mm-hmm. actually being people that they really are not. And what you can do is take incremental steps. And if you start with the intimate group in your central, in your central circle, you can take intimates, you can take incremental steps with that group and say things that are a little bit more truthful today than what you said yesterday. And then you'll see it's actually addicting. There's that yeah. it's very compelling to when to you start speaking your truest self, because like you said, you don't have to remember what you said. You actually are just speaking from your core. You're actually just being yourself. And it goes a long ways towards creating um, genuine uh, relationships. And it is from there and maybe only from there that healing actually takes place in humanity. And it's really in the moment because I like what you said earlier of the cells are changing. So who we were is not who we are right now and who we will be. So we have to keep that in mind that it's also fluid. And some people are so concerned about sticking to who they think they are that they cause extra stress because of that. That's also not the point. It's also you're right. And, you know, we hold politicians to this idea, for instance, that they what they said 20 years ago should be exactly what they said today. And the truth is, what I said last week isn't what I'm saying today. Exactly. And, you know, we should be allowed to shift given the amount of information that is coming at us in so many different directions all day long. You know, there's so many ways that we receive information. Our mind and our thoughts and our ideas about how things go uh, have to be dynamic and allowed to be fluid and shifting, because if they're not, we're going to sort of stick to something the same, even long past it being stale. Mm-hmm. And, and that yeah. takes courage too and i think that's it again speaking up and uh, i also like it that it shouldn't be a, a big fuss or anything just slowly incrementally gradually 
but it's empowering. And I think empowerment is also misunderstood, apparently. I think that's really it. Empowering is really bringing out your voice the way it is, as, as much as you can, again, within that context if, of, of being also safe and not being being too, too drastic. I think that's also important. But it is empowering. It feels liberating because you say, now I don't have to act. I am myself. And we rarely are because if you look at the, the job and the jobs, you can't really be yourself. You say to an extent. But when it came for me between like being myself and like wanting them to be someone else, I chose myself and it cost me the job. That's okay. I will move on because it's just a job. But my, me, myself, my dignity, my honor, my relationship with myself is much, worth much more than that. Exactly. In the greater scheme of thing, which you, you, which you clearly have explored before, that is so obviously true. And not everybody gets that the way you just said it, but that is so obviously true that the cost of being someone different than you are or pretending to be someone different than you are in order to protect yourself is very large. And um, so, yeah, finding your true voice and then speaking it, the key value of that, like the key thing there is, um, you know, it comes with listening. Yeah. like actually listening. So when you speak your true voice through whatever form of self-expression in vocality or in any of the creative eight or any of the creative methodologies that we have gone over, and I do go over more in my book, uh, you can see that um, the key feature is actually to listen to who's around you. What is being called for to move that needle forward? Like what is being asked for? Who, who the person you're with, what are they saying? What are they not saying? Yes. What are yes. they representing? What do they want? What do they need? And maybe not just one person, but the whole, maybe the whole collective or the whole circumstance is calling for you to be a certain way. And self-expression is an intention to move that needle forward. It's not simply going to the mountaintops and screaming your truth out loud. Yes. Like yes. I hate my mother-in-law or something. <laughs> That's not very helpful. No. What can be very helpful is using creativity to then express yourself effectively to move the needle forward in whatever direction is being called for via your listening. Yeah, active listening and really like taking away those preconceived notions that we have because we, we see a person, we already have various judgments about them. That's something that I've learned to do of being uh, less judging of others and just actively listening. What are they really trying to say? Uh, they're angry. Okay, they're upset about something. It's not about me. And that's what that's usually our first thought is like, oh, they hate me. Like, oh, they don't even know me in many cases. And even if they did, it, it wouldn't matter listening what is coming out there what are they trying to communicate what is their 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 frustration with and we find that we have more things in common if we actually did that instead of we blocked ourselves out it's like no you're different and so on just again taking all that away and listening to that without our own ideas projected onto them i think that is hugely important and it's 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 hard to do but once you learn to do it it's 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 really fascinating because you can relax and listen to the other person yeah, it's funny. You cannot get in trouble actually listening to somebody. Yeah. yeah. You only get in trouble when you speak and do. If all you're doing is listening, you will not get in trouble. There, You can actually just calm down, relax, and listen. Even if what they're saying is diametrically opposed to what you think is so. Yeah. And these days, there are so many divisive issues out here where you know your siblings or your best friends or your colleagues or your mentors might think differently about something you think is really important. They might have a directly adversarial idea about how things are going in one of the particular, maybe one of the particular areas that you think matters. 
But the importance here is actually being able to interchange and be curious. And I had a conversation yesterday. Um, I gave a keynote speech yesterday at a um, uh, in front of 60 people. And there was one lady at the end who told me that she does not have time to listen. She will not listen to certain people. And she just won't. She will not waste her time to listen to certain people. And she came up to me after the class and said to me, I will not listen to somebody who's mentally ill. I will not listen to somebody who, um, you know, who has uh, violent tendencies or something like that. And I said, well, maybe what they need more than anything is to be heard, is to be listened to. And you don't have to worry. You're not going to catch their disease by listening to them. You're not, there's nothing frightening about simply listening. It's one of the safest places to be. And it is really, really fascinating and, and um, to feed your curiosity. Like, what does that person really mean, really want, really need when they're, when they're speaking? Yeah, curiosity is is, is is hugely important there. And I, I, I am kind of driven by that. Even people who disagree or who have different points of views, I'm, I'm curious. I want to explore that world without falling into it, without being infected by it or anything like that. It's like, you know, that's what that's why you need to really find yourself. And I think because then you become more confident. And I think people are just concerned. If I am talking to someone who's mental ill, I might catch their disease or I might That's catch right. the political views. But once you are confident in that, uh, that helps. And for me, mindfulness has been important of like realizing those kind of feelings within me and being able to, to deal with them. So, for example, when somebody, I, I have angry students sometimes who talk to me and not catching their anger, not responding to them but acting in a calm and centered way. And I found their anger dissipates, right? If I say, okay, well, this is the reason why you're failing. This is what happened and so on. And I say it in a, in a calm demeanor and manner, it's fine. And I've had at various times with people who are angry and we see that very often nowadays, more than before. But when you respond in that way, they, they have nowhere else to go and they're right. provoking you to an extent. But when you don't play the game, they're like, okay, well, let's just move on and bother somebody else. And that exactly. helps us ourselves too, because we don't get caught up in that. Exactly. Yeah. So the, and so the, again, you're, you're really underlining the power of listening and really getting that the more you listen, the more you know what the next notes are for you to play, <laughs> almost like you're in a band and in an improvisation, uh, making music with other people. You have to be able to listen to the other musicians so that you know when you're being called on to play and what's being called on to actually create with your instrument and so and like, it all comes like, in the listening like okay. modern classical music is dissonant too then except those dissonance because that actually is melodious as well and that adds exactly. to the, the whole thing i love that um for your creative eight what are some of the things that you are suggesting what are the eight can we briefly go over them here for, for our audience as well sure the the creative eight the original creative eight are art music dancing singing cooking writing gardening and drama Cool. And then there's two more that got added cooking and photography got, I'm sorry, uh, cleaning and photography got added okay. and, um, cleaning the home or cleaning yourself, you know, actually cleaning up. is also a form of self-expression and photography got added. And then ultimately the final one is really being of service. Like the Trump mm -hmm. card is actually being with, um, you know, doing anything, helping anybody do anything. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful form of self-expression and service as well and moves ourself out of it. And then ultimately, again, another form that we've looked at in our mastermind is divinity, eternity, and infinity. 
looking way out there for what's on the other side of what we think the finite life is about. And that's another space where we can, when we explore that, we can really dissipate or even disappear our mental health, our mental health concerns. And I'd be curious also in terms of spirituality, what uh, what would you say and what is your your point uh, here as well? It's something that I think a lot of people talk about spirituality too, and I've seen with, with friends and so on. I don't find them very spiritual, so which is kind of like, you know, kind of confusing there. But what would you look at? And you meant, uh, mentioned divinity as something I'm very fascinated with too. Right. So, you know, divinity, eternity, infinity, we start looking at the greater whole. Like, what is it? What is this life that we're living? Are we just, um, you know, are we just, um, uh, um, what do they say? It's like, uh, I'm living a human experience, you know, um, I'm missing a word here. I'm sorry. Um, like, yeah, I'm, um, you know, that I'm just not, is this, I don't think it's a spirituality. I'm just tripping over this word. I'm so sorry, but it's like, we're living, we're living a human experience as a spiritual being. We're a spiritual being living a human experience. <laughs> and, um, you know, once we get that, once we really get that there is a, a life beyond the three dimensions here and that we are very limited by our thinking and by our linguistics and by our forms of self-expression and therefore don't often explore the essence of uh, spirituality and divinity. Um, and that words themselves don't naturally fit that, that description. Uh, you know, they're not, they're not entirely useful to describe the experience of what divinity or what spirituality is. So because we're limited in our binary and linear ways of thinking, um, we often uh, take uh, spirituality and kind of warp it. Back in the day, you know, when I was working the emergency rooms in psychiatry, um, if people came in and they said things that were spiritual, we would actually consider that a psychological symptom. And they could be admitted to the hospital for saying something about their love of God or God will help me. Or, you know, I have if, if they said something a little bit off into the into the, the woo woo land, we would uh, call them psychotic and then um so oftentimes they would get admitted and eventually get antipsychotic medication by injection even to help I, turn, sir, turn I, I love the artificial distinction between uh, so if you talk to God is fine but if God responds then you're mentally ill and uh, right. so so th there's that and it's like where do you draw the line as well it seems right. like very odd yeah yeah we have uh, we humans have made some arbitrary distinctions about where mental wealth and mental health and mental illness, uh, the line between those two things are very, very, very nebulous and very vague. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, again, uh, um, what uh, what uh, got you on this path too? I mean, you, you started as a conventional psychiatrist, right? And so what what was it that that led you on on this path? And you've been doing this for, for various years, for decades right now, right? So um, yeah. what was the, uh, what the perhaps defining moment? What made you think like, oh, there, there's something else out there and I have to, maybe we need to change our way of seeing things. Right. So when I first went into psychiatry, I already knew there was something else out there. I went in, I had a job as a mental health worker, a child care worker at a local um, state hospital uh, for adolescent boys. And it was there that I really realized that human connection was at the heart of all healing, because that's what I had to do. I worked the afternoon shift and I just connect with my um, with my residents and then we would both heal. Everyone would heal. We just had a great time. 
but I really didn't like psychiatry. I really thought psychiatry was headed in the wrong direction. And I went into psychiatry so that I could bring human connection back into that field. I didn't go in because I love psychiatry. I never loved psychiatry. And while I was there um, is when Prozac was uh, um, um, introduced to all of us. And, you know, Prozac was a super big deal. Prozac is the first drug that created this whole notion of a chemical imbalance or of biological psychiatry. And by the time I got out of residency, I, you know, I had already had enough sunken costs that I was now going to be a diagnostician and a psychopharmacologist, whether I liked it or not. So over the next several decades, I've written over 100,000 prescriptions, but each of them have been sort of heartache or, um, you know, soul sacrifice at some level, because I didn't, I kind of knew the whole time that what I was doing wasn't necessarily the best for the client. And, you know, the Hippocratic Oath requires me to first do no harm. And there I was anyway, sort of prescribing medicines and making diagnoses against my better judgment in many cases. And that led to a lot of issues. And so in 2006, I began to do something different. And that was to take people off of medicine altogether. And I took my low risk patients off of medicine and they got way better reliably. Oftentimes their diagnosis totally disappeared. And over the next 10 years, I traveled around the country and around the world working psychiatry from multiple different arenas, continuing to express that I thought medications weren't necessarily the best route. And even therapy or diagnoses wasn't always the best route. Um, and when I did that, I eventually came to Welcome to Humanity, which is self-explanatory and basically just underlines the notion that all of the experiences that we're having as human, even the even the really miserable ones, the very painful ones, the nearly intolerable or unspeakable ones, they're all part of the potpourri of magic that what it is to be human in this short time on earth. And we're giving an opportunity to embrace and learn and grow from that. That's what Welcome to Humanity represents. And from Welcome to Humanity, that's where I created um, the books that you've already talked about, The Creative Eight and The Find Your True Voice, and also created my podcast and created the courses that I've created, the Find Your True Voice course and the Healing Healer course. Mm -hmm, wonderful. Yeah, that's, that's that's amazing. I was just thinking of a prescription of like, you know, read this book or do a dance or something like that. That's that's more creative, but also really helpful. And it's 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 been like neglected in, in various uh, ways and just focus too much on on the medical model, which is which is not always effective and often does not right. address the root issues as uh, uh, again, when it comes to, to mental health. And um, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely fascinating. So uh, uh, you are a non-diagnosing psychiatrist and undoctor. I, I find that very, very fascinating too. And I think what's also one thing just to mention here is we have the pursuit of happiness, right? And that's what the, you know, the United States is, is built upon. But it's like, it seems like it's always pursuing, pursuing and like, you know, improving and improving. But we are happy and we're perfect as we are right now. And if we notice that, then we realize you don't really have to pursue much. You can just engage with things in, on a much more uh, deeper level, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, if you can really see that the data doesn't have to change and the data is not going to change, actually. Mm -hmm. This is the data that, you know, happiness can be... Um, can be formed with the data you're presently in, even if you're choosing at some level to be, uh, to be miserable. And again, I use the word choice. We have a choice as to what we do with the data that's here. Um, you know, things aren't turning out the way we want them to, or that person said a bad thing, or you see that those people are, are really wrong and hurting people, or, you know, the weather is bad, or your mother-in-law insulted you or something like that. 
it can have us be that we get really miserable. We tend to be take a beeline towards misery. But the truth is, is that we can use the same data and create a sense of satisfaction in our present life, just like it is right now. And that's a good idea rather than pursuing it, because pursuing it assumes that it's not here already. It's a lack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Fred Moss. You're a psychiatrist, author, podcaster. You you do a lot of things. You're very busy. You're also a speaker, as a keynote speaker. Uh, thank you so much for being on Rash's World. It was such a pleasure talking to you and so enlightening. So uh, thank you again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And if there's anything I can do for you or your listeners, please let me know. The way, the best way to find me is to find me on drfred360.com. If you go to drfred360.com, you can see everything I'm up to. There's some cool freebies there. You can download my books. You can get even an audio version of the Creative Eight that I did. And uh, you can get some, um, you know, some cool lead magnets, uh, like the five ways to discover your true voice. And uh, it's a pretty fun site where you can see everything I'm up to and connect with me. And I invite your listeners to do that. Sounds excellent. Thank you so much.